0: This is Manifesto, Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker. And I'm Wayne Chang. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. And in this episode, we will tread carefully into the Talenta Plains to study the savage halfling culture. But actually, we're not just going to focus on Talenta Plains. Halflings, we're actually going to talk about halflings everywhere, including uh, civilized, quote-unquote, or urban halflings, uh, the dragon-marked houses uh, associated with halflings, and, of course, the Talanta halflings as well.
1: But we still tread carefully. I'm just saying, they are beautiful, these halflings in the Sharn. Yeah. So, for example, in Sharn, you don't want to,
0: like, you know, upset a certain clan of halflings uh there which we'll talk about later well you don't want to piss off halflings in general and sharp yes that's
1: true
2: (laughs) no that is true anyways yeah
0: Yeah. so uh you know the the inspiration for this episode actually was an article that you wrote not too long ago keith uh on halflings on your site Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes i thought that was a really good compliment to the content that's in uh, the core books uh it's a really good dive into the topic of halflings uh so if you haven't checked it out yet go check that out um, there was also a really interesting article Written a long time ago On the old Dragon Shards archive uh, It was Druids of Corvair Part 3 Yes, there were three parts to that article uh, And they talk about uh, Druids Among the, the Halfling tribes um, Which I thought was interesting as well And uh, Some people don't know about this There's a uh, there was an article in Dragon Magazine Number 354 by Paizo Publishing uh, Where there was an article By Nicholas Logue um Boromar Clan, simply titled Boromar Clan, uh, which is all about the Boromar clan in
1: Sharn. So. And the funny thing about that is I didn't know about that article, which was especially funny when I discovered, oh, I wrote an introduction to it, I think. Uh so, so at one point I knew about that article, but it was eleven years ago. Uh and so I'm very intrigued because I can't remember what, what it says. Uh so I have to check that one out myself. And I, <laughs> I haven't contradicted uh anything. It's funny it. if you
0: did though, right? I mean, of you course. Know. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's
1: you know anyone using anything. I mean, my thing is, I created the Boromar Clan uh, in writing uh, on the Sharn City of Towers sourcebook, uh, so that's sort of when the clan came, you know, came into existence, as it were. Uh, so, so certainly, I, I, you know, pushed it into the world uh, and have you know written some stuff about it in you know a little bit about it in the the Sharn uh section of the wayfinders guide to Eberron, but uh but as i say i'm i'm not sure what's in the the dragon article so i look forward to finding out yeah nice no, uh I've, I've skimmed it before it was really i thought it was a fun read at the time uh
0: it's been a long while since i've looked at it but it is there for anybody who wants to check it out so
1: yeah and um, I'll, I'll share my basic overview of the Barmar as we go further down but there you go cool so I'm going to admit that, um, and, and that you, Wayne, you and
0: I were talking about this earlier before we yeah, recorded, exactly. um, that this episode, uh, we're actually looking to really learn quite a bit because I, I know one of the things I struggled with 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 the with the half with sorry with Talenta halflings in particular was mm-hmm. really how to employ them in a campaign because mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like um, well, one they they don't get as much um, I guess spotlight as say Warforged do, mm-hmm. uh, and two. When you look at the map, you know Wayne, you made this. You made this point. When you look at that map, you are like, "There is a big swath of like nothing." Yep. You know, There's a big empty space there. <laughs> yeah. So, so it always felt like to me that this was this place that you sort of maybe traverse to get somewhere else, but it never felt like a destination. Uh, so maybe you know, Keith, you know, I guess we'll we'll talk a little bit about that, and um, you know, I am eager to learn some more and just talk about you know my ideas as as we move along. And Wayne, I am sure yeah. you will too.
1: No, absolutely. And of course, uh, I am, I'm happy to share my thoughts, but, you know, as with all things Eberron, uh, the whole point is my ideas are just a starting place. And part of the question is, you know, it's always about what inspires you. And, uh, so I want to hear your thoughts. Indeed. Indeed. So, um,
0: one of the things that, that that's really interesting that halflings have been in Corvair for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um they've they, they have a long um life or long uh, history of traditions. Um they come across as very sort of primitive, at least the Talanta halflings still do to some degree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um sort of primitive and sort of harsh and, and such. Uh and to some that, you know, who aren't familiar with it, when they encounter these these halflings, they might sort of be a little bit put off by it. Um but there's also a lot of complexity to their to their sort of Mm -hmm. beliefs Mm -hmm. and their religion and and such. Uh, And they, they kind of have a hybrid of, um, or a mix of sort of uh, a belief in spirits, but also some sort of ancestral
1: worship as well. Well, to me, those sort of blend together. Uh, the, the broad idea of, um, halfling belief is, is that, um, We are surrounded by the spirits and that basically they don't call a lot of distinction between nature spirits, the fey and the spirits of the dead. Uh, So to them sort of, you know, ancestor worship and uh, showing respect to the fey or the spirits of an area are all sort of part of the same thing as opposed to something like the undying court where, uh, you know, ancestors are very much a separated, coherent entity of their own. And the idea is that the, the Talenta halflings more broadly just say the world around us is full of spirits and you need to work with all of them.
2: One of the things I I was, you know, I, I think it's, it's with that identity is basically, um, it depends. I, I feel like whenever you look at it, halflings, it, it really looks like where where are you being introduced to halflings? Like if um, this look at it from a player's side, uh, just for a moment, it's basically mm-hmm. <clears throat> your you come into the campaign and someone says, "Okay, I want to play a halfling," and you're going to say, "Okay, what kind of halfling?" And you're just like, mm-hmm. and someone's going to be like, "What do you mean, what kind of halfling?" Like you know, three point five edition. There, there's no, I'm not talking about sub races because really there's like multiple identities and. You can incorporate all of this, but mm-hmm. basically when you start, you're going, well, are you the wild, you know, plains halfling? Are you part of the dragon mark houses? And and everybody, you know, the first thing you read is, oh, they, there's two dragon marks in, in the halfling line. Um, so one of the things was I always felt that when you look at halflings, there's this very, very splintered identity. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you go back and be like, you know what? Everybody came from – all the halflings came from the plains and you have this background, but you're like – that might mean absolutely nothing to my character um, from there. So, how much research am I going to do uh, for my character to do that, or am I going go? You, know, you know what? I'm part one of dragon mark houses, or I'm I'm one of the quote unquote civilized halflings. You know what's what's my background there? And it it like Heath said, and, and we were talking about not uh, sorry with like, like Christian mm-hmm. said earlier when we were talking about it. It was just if you say if you tell me halflings come from this area, and you look, there's like three landmarks in the entire talanta plains um on the map mm-hmm. uh, there might be more in, in some of the more detailed maps but if you look and go i don't have anything to hang on to into that so i think for a couple of my players they never really played halflings all that often because they're like well we're just gonna play the dragon mark stuff and that's cool or i want the i want the healing i want the mark of healing because that's really really cool but if you go all the way back into that history it ends up having – you kind of have that kind of cutoff where you have the background of this this ancient race who believes in spirits and whatever. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, I'm cut off. And now I'm, I'm this civilized halfling that has nothing to do with this background.
1: Well, and so I look at it in a very different way. So, so just coming out from there, per, first off to me, the lack of landmarks in the Talenta Plains is part of their story. Uh, because it's very much the idea that they're nomads. Right. They aren't attached to, you know, they never built cities. They never raised empires. Uh, that, that just wasn't part of their culture. And so their culture always has been to wander, to uh, to focus on the tribe instead of to build a vast nation. You know, essentially, they never tried to conquer the world around them. They just tried to Live in it, if you will. Uh, right. And that's back to essentially the, the uh, interaction with the spirits. It's we try and respect the world around us, not control it. And so part of, of looking to the vastness of the plains is just saying that's essentially the ocean your ancestors sailed on. Uh, that, you know, you don't have any one particular place in it. That is vital to you. Setting aside Gatherhold, which is what makes Gatherhold all that much more important, uh, because it is the one place that you know is the, the city in the plains. Um, and when I look to you know, you go to that point, and you've got the two things of um, the hunter tradition, and again the the working with the dinosaurs. And that, that is sort of part of, back to, as I said, sort of living in harmony with their uh, environment and with the spirits around them. And so going from that to the civilized halfling, you have that question of, do I hold on to any of that? You know, do I still respect the spirits even though I've settled in this this concrete place? Uh, do I still have relatives uh, in the plains, you know, sort of, I still maintain that ancient, my family, you know, I have distant cousins that still wander around there. Uh, or am I like, oh, those people are a bunch of savages, you know, and and want nothing to do with it. And with the major forces in um, the civilized world, the Galanda, Jurasco, and the Boromar clan, all of them actually maintain some connections. To um, to the plains, but part of that again is generally maintaining connections to tribes, not to places, and it's that idea that we still have some among us, not all, who still respect those traditions, who still care about our family members who are there, and whether we tithe, whether you know, uh, we still have relatives ourselves. That you know, part of that is that question of. You know, do you have any connection to that or have you cut yourself off and uh, going to, if you are playing a I mean a halfling from the planes, you know, it's back to that question of why'd you leave? Why are you here? And how do you interact with this world that is so different from what you're used to? That something like Sharn is just, you've only seen one city before in your life. And it's a pretty small city next to Sharn. So just seeing something mm-hmm. like a tower, you know, just a tower is a fairly new concept to you, let alone a tower that's a mile high. And one of the questions is, is that a source of wonder? Uh, do you just sort of adapt to this and just say, this is just another environment and I'm a hunter and I'm just going to master it? Uh, or or are you just like, these places are completely freaky? Um. I know that doesn't change anything you're saying, but you know, to me, it's it's as that it is that sort of thing to explore. Of if you're going to be from the Talenta Plains, think about why you're here and how you react to this very different environment. If you're from the civilized world, Galanda and Jurasco both have deep roots in their own way. Uh, the Boromar have their own sort of take on things, but it's sort of like, what are your roots? Because again. If you're part of one of the houses, you are part of one of the houses that has roots in a culture of its own. Um, but I don't know if that helps with anything. <laughs> I I think it does help from
0: the standpoint of um, when you're looking again, when you're looking at that map and you're like, well, what would I even do in the Talenta Plains? Rather than Talenta Plains being sort of a destination other than, say, Gatherhold or Crescent or the Boneyard. Uh the Talenta Plains is really an environment like you said it's 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 similar to say being out at sea, except in this case mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. wandering this vast landscape and, and mm-hmm. uh And I think that can also be evocative in in um you know in, a, in terms of your imagination and what you're seeing and what you're experiencing for any character
1: visiting there and and that's a really, really good point is that's the point it's not a destination, and that's why no one has taken it from them. Uh, it's a big, you know, sort of broad area with not a lot there, and uh, and this is sort of the general history of Corvair. Is that whoever's been the in charge, whether it's humanity, whether it's the Takani, has basically seized the Five Nations area and kicked everybody else to the curb, and uh, and so part of it is is that on the surface, it is an obstacle. Rather than a destination. But on the other hand, that does mean you have things. Crescent is an example of an ancient Coatal ruin. But part of the point is you can, you know, Crescent, the Boneyard, those are examples. They're not supposed to be the only ones of their kind. Essentially, it's saying that the plains are a place where you can have things like a Coatal ruin or a demon ruin no one's encountered. Because no one's ever settled this place. And even the, t- uh, the halflings themselves, if you have something like a cursed demon ruin, basically the tribes have identified it and said, we stay away from there. We, we mark our paths of migration and we never go to that place. It's crazy and haunted. And so one thing that makes it a good destination is because it is a part of the world that has not been completely tamed, if that makes any sense. And you can put things there that have have never really been deeply explored, and so to me, as I said, Crescent and the Boneyard are examples. They're not supposed to be like these are the only two interesting places in the plains.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could even see you know a, a GM inserting, for example, a, um, a manifest zone or two,
1: absolutely somewhere in
0: there. there, there yeah, or zones. right, Lamania, Thalanus, you know, something to that effect,
1: even um, or Fernia, even depending on. I'll- I'll shut about this in a moment, but that's that comes back to the spirits. That's exactly the idea that there should be manifest zones to Thilonis, and that would be a place that they would be like, oh, powerful spirits here you should deal with. Um so yeah, that's definitely the kind of thing that should be there. But yeah. Wayne, did you have a thought?
2: I mean, this is you know, this is me, you know, ten years later looking at this. Obviously, when you look at this and and <clears throat> there's nothing wrong. Just I, I want listeners to realize there's nothing wrong with you looking and going, This is really empty. I'm not going to use this place. That's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Um, and like Heath said, this is, you know, those two areas there, um, not gathered whole, but the other two areas. This is an example. Another DM is going to look at this. And be like, you know what, this is like you said, this is a ripe open area for me to put some pop something down because the halflings don't go there. The halflings are are afraid of it or they they have mm-hmm. their ancient stories about it. And I mean, if, if if anybody, you know, if you're looking at this and you look at a map of of Corvair and you kind of zoom out, like I have mine zoomed out here. Right. And mm-hmm. you really do see there's dot, dot 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 dot. Oh, here's the here's all the lines, here's all the, the roads, here's the here's the 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 lightning rail lines and you have this big empty space a lot of dms are going to look and go okay that big empty space that's a travel through the other dm is going to look and go there's things to put in there there's things that i can enrich um you know it, it is a blank canvas and i can dot it with whatever i want i can use whatever strokes i want and especially when you're talking about you know going back specifically to to a plane's halfling you know that's something that you can add in, you know. I I like using uh, you guys probably know, you know, I love using whatever's canon. Like I, mm-hmm. I like having that because that's a that's a basis for everybody to go from. Right. But a DM can be like, you know what, I'm gonna put a dot on this map, and that's gonna mean something to my character, that's gonna mean something to one of my players later on, even if they're a civilized halfling, because obviously halflings came from the plains, and even if your house uh Jurassic World or Glanda, you came from here, you know, there's there's new Dragon marks that are coming from there because that's the original you know and and that's coming in so you know obviously i, I want people to you know we want people to play halflings like halflings are yep. are fun and and the lucky ability for a halfling is awesome uh, but uh um, you want to um, um you know look at that area as as, as opportunity
1: well and and there's a couple of things here uh you know i mean one of the things is. I don't disagree at all with the basic issue that this is a part of the world that in the previous editions hasn't been explored in enough depth. So when I'm throwing out all these things, I'm talking about the kind of things I talked about in that article I wrote and things mm-hmm. like that. I'm not saying, oh, how didn't, how come they didn't get all this? You know, there's not a lot in uh, third edition or fourth edition. Uh, but as I said, it's all there. And, and, you know, I see what I want them to be. Uh, and I've certainly written about it both in the Wayfinder's Guide and in more depth uh, in that article. Um, and, and again, part of the point to me about the plains is this is one of the draws of the Mornland in the first place. Is one of the things I've always said is when you take the five nations, it's a little hard. To explain how an area that in theory has been home to civilized nations for over a thousand years still has weird ruins to explore, or things that no one's discovered, or random monsters wandering around. Because wouldn't Gallifar have worked those things out? And part of the point of the Mornland was essentially to say we're taking an area that was once a heart of civilization and safety and security and suddenly turning it into the world's biggest dungeon. Um, but the plains are a place that have never been uh, completely tamed or civilized. And so again, you have that ability, just as you said, Wayne to be like, Oh yeah, that's the place the half have shunned because it's haunted and dangerous. And that can just be, as opposed to again in uh, Brayland, it's a little harder to be like, really, and it's just sat there for twelve hundred years, and no one's ever actually bothered to go clean it out. Um, and so, as I said, I see the blank space, and I'm like, that's places to put, you know, the demon ruins and the things you want. Whereas in the Five Nations, you got to come up with a little more explanation. Uh, You know, how is it hidden? How come people didn't go there? So that's what I like about Droam, about the Shadow Marches, about the Talenta Plains, is the untamed, unexplored lands have more room for that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. You know, I I before we get into like talking about like GM
0: section and player section, and all that like we typically do, I do want to touch on some aspects about halflings as a player race. Yes, in that um, you know you have the lucky feature, you have you know, and there's been some sort of some variants of that throughout different editions um and those those tropes are largely based on the idea of these halflings that live in say a hole in the ground or maybe the caravan traveling depending on which edition of dnd mm-hmm. you're talking about um but this is not what they are whether they're mm-hmm. urban or talenta mm-hmm. or whatever these are these are warriors they're druids they're shamans they're rangers they're uh in in the dragon houses they're um, you know, they're caretakers They're you know, they, this is, this is a, a culture that, um, was raised on survivalism and was raised off the, you know, living off the land and the land being a part of their culture.
1: Well, one of the things, if I can just touch on that for just a moment and, and, and you're absolutely right about all of this and I agree. And, and it's part of what I, t- I address in that dragon mark article. Is touching on all of these things, but right. I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Of to me, uh, because they've never been people who built cities or empires. Part of it is exactly that There are people who have always been sort of hunters, adapting and and sort of fighting to survive. And in the plains, that is a literal rangers, barbarians like that. And in a place like Sharn. They fight to survive in very different ways. And, you know, I look to a house like Galanda and to me, Galanda is about, we survive through knowing people, through making friends, through doing things, but that's still in a way, uh, they're still sort of, it's a struggle. You know, right. they're basically saying this is our weapon, our charm, and our wit, and our friendliness is our tool. Yeah, that's their resource. That's their resourcefulness. Right. That's their survival mode um, method. Yeah, and and the Baramar are again, we're digging in, we're carving something out, um, and so that's all I'm saying is I, I agree with what you're saying. There is is they're not just comfortable. We live in a hole. They are always like, how do we get our place here, and how do we how do we continue? Yeah, indeed. Indeed. You know, the, um,
0: yeah. And, and, and I think it's, it's interesting too, because even when you look at their traits, you know, brave, lucky, uh, you know, and so, and so on, you know, when you're living in the, in, in, out in the plains, when you're, when you're a species or a race that has evolved there, uh, those are very, very, um, useful Features, you know, you're 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 out in the plains. You're 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 walking among tall grass. You're, you know, relying on your wit and your your uh, your savvy uh, survival
1: skills and you know your nimbleness. You know, well, and and a couple of things. You know, again, sort of looking back to what I wrote in that Dragonmark article. Mm-hmm. You know, first off, the one thing that I feel is often overlooked is size. You're small, right. And you're small because of that. You're actually slower than other races. Uh, Even though you're quick, you've got the high dexterity, you've got the nimbleness. So you're actually very fast. It's you're slower because you are smaller and you know you can't use heavy weapons, you know, things like that. Uh, So they're small, but they're very quick. And that's part of where they need their wits. They need their luck because they are smaller uh, and, you know, more limited than other races. And one of the points to me is just thinking about What does that mean to you as an individual? Right. Is that if you're in Sharn, Sharn is a city which by and large is made for medium-sized creatures and you're not. Uh, So, do you just sort of, eh, I just take it all in stride? Or do you see yourself like if you're from the plains, you are basically wandering through this world of clumsy giants. And you know that these things are… Sort of distinctly different from you in this fundamental way. There's all these creatures, you know, sort of bumbly creatures towering around you. And how does your character react to that? You know, like I said, is it important or not? Uh, And I sort of call out again that to me with the Talenta, uh, because the halfling has, you know, uh, speed and by speed, I mean dexterity. You know, they have the nimbleness, the agility uh, then I really see that being what tends to define their fighting style, especially because they also don't do a lot of like forging and such. So rather than being heavily armored fighters, you know, they are more uh, about finesse, about, uh, you know, the rogue, the ranger, the barbarian, uh, because they are more about speed than about brute force. Wayne, I think. I think if you're looking at,
2: <clears throat> look, I'm going to look at it from both the game mechanics side, um, and from just a, a, a regular side. So, game mechanics side, just so everybody understands, the reason that halflings are a little slower, um, size, mm-hmm. speed, tradition, yep. it's also to have the lucky feet because the lucky feet is actually v- uh, not feet um, trait, yes, it's very very mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're slower. That's one of the reasons. So if anybody's wondering about the game mechanics, that's that's one of the balancing points. But now let's think about it from the from a A a lower side. If you are slower, like you know, physically you run slower. You're you're slower than those long legged people. What do you do to compensate? Mm -hmm. Let's
0: let's let's be more specific. (laughs) Yeah, it's not that you're actually slower. It's just that you cover less ground. (laughs) But you're you're, you're.
1: I I yeah. I mean, I completely agree. That is the point. Is it's not you know that they're slower, but they still if. Yeah, run a race against a human. The human's going to win, and that's, I believe, what you're getting at, Wayne. Is mm-hmm. so I need something faster to work with.
2: Right there, right. you go. And this is one of the set. You know, excellent segue. This is one of the best parts of of of, of Af- Ebron, Absolutely. You know, when when we first got, you know, those those teasers for Eberron, those little books, I think I still have one, like it's a little blue book.
1: Yep, the little blue and book.
2: You mm-hmm. you know, and you you see, and the first thing you see, you know, I, I think it's in that one. I'm I'm, I'm not sure. I don't quite remember, remember now. I have to bring it out. Is I am what what is the halfling doing? You got the little guy that's two and a half feet tall and how am, I, how am I going to compensate for my size and my speed um, in a world full of humans and a whole like nation full of humans? What am I going to do? And we get the dinosaurs.
1: Yes, we're going to ride around on a raptor. Yes. And this is, of course, one of the funny things of uh, this is a perfect example. You know, so now we're going to go behind the curtain a tiny bit uh, of how Eberron evolved. Uh, because again, through the fantasy search, you know, I made one page and I made 10 pages and I made a hundred pages. Then I took that to, and I made a hundred pages in basically two months. Uh, and then, and then we went to wizards and sort of took that and said, okay, now we've got time, you know, now we're actually building this out. Uh, what do we do? And originally, uh, basically I had it, they, they were nomads, but they were just essentially like riding tribex or something like that, or hurting them. And so it was me in a room with Bill Slavasek, James Wyatt, Chris Perkins. And basically we spent like a week just sort of going over the whole thing and just being like, okay, how can we, how can we do more with this? And one of the points specifically was like, okay, these guys, you know, this is cool. This is an interesting take, but what, you know, what are they writing? Like, what, how do we make this a little more interesting? And, I think I think we have like three different answers of who came came up with the thing. My memory is that it was James Wyatt's son was in a dinosaur facing. It was like, "What about dinosaurs?" And we're just all like, "Yes," because it is the case that dinosaurs have always been in D and D. They were in you know early monster manuals, but haven't had really an interesting place. And because it totally fits with the whole lost world pulp you know, sort of idea of, ooh, you know, savage land with dinosaurs. And immediately again, all of us, just that image of the halfling riding a clawfoot was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, we want that. Um, so, so as I said, we all just immediately were like, yes, yes, that is the answer. And it's one of the things I always love is telling people halfling barbarian on a, on a raptor is one of the things that, that, you know, defines Eberron um it is i will note a slight mechanical issue that has been brought up is in writing the wayfinder's guide i threw in a clawfort raptor uh, just because i wanted to have something there for people to work with and i based it off when i was balancing it uh i was basically looking at things like uh the warhorse cuz i'm like what well, should at least be as good as a warhorse you know this is a freaking dinosaur Um, and what has been pointed out is because that makes it a a half seer creature that apparently it's out of reach of the early beast master, which is kind of a bummer because, oh, you know, and that's the only one I've written. Uh, I will note that the halflings have many different types of dinosaurs, you know, that is not supposed to be like, oh, all they've got is this one dinosaur. Um, and so that is certainly something that one way or another will be expanded upon. They will have more options. Uh, and this wasn't intended to be like, no halfling ranger can have a dinosaur buddy. Uh, it was just, hey, I started off creating something and, you know, that was where I went with that one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, I even remember there was that art piece, uh, I think it was Steve Prescott. Yes. That he did where where the, it was the halfling and the dinosaur going through the city of Sharn. And, mm-hmm, like, it's mm-hmm. a crowded, you know, alley, you know, street or whatever. And the rest of the people there are just like, eh, like it's just normal, you know, no, not, no big deal. Um, but the idea that, again, here's a small guy in a sort of medium sized world, uh, mechanically speaking, just fitting with by using this dinosaur to get around.
1: But but I mean I, I I totally agree with Wayne's sort of point, and that's really what we've said, is this is the whole idea that for the halfling dinosaur rider, it's not just Oh, this is my horse. It is like, this is, this is a part of me. This is, this is how I get through the world. And this is the whole idea of the mask weavers is that they, they believe like we're together. And if my Mount dies, when I die, you know, we'll, we'll ride around the spirit world together.
2: And like, that's why you have the
1: mask is so that, uh, whoever dies first, the spirit goes into the mask. Um, and that's one of the reasons you have the mask. The mask is also essentially the face you present to the spirits. You know, there's a whole secondary aspect there. Uh, right. But again, it is that idea that they don't just see them as as a random thing to throw away. It's like, like you said, this is this is the, the thing that makes me a bigger, faster creature. Uh, you know, it's almost like I'd say some of them think of themselves sort of as centaurs almost in a way. Uh, because, you know, it's me and my mount together. Right. Right. So for,
0: um, well, we, we, we talked already about like some of the like unexplored ruins. We also talked about the Talanta. You know, I'm, I'm speaking I, from a GM's perspective. Yeah, really that I really it sounds wanna... like is
1: like this vast space. But go ahead, Keith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just really wanted to jump back to your point, though, is that, again, things like manifest zones are a very concrete example of the kind of thing that should be there. You're yeah. talking about a vast area of space. And this is the point is you'd have like a particular Lamonian manifest zone that would be like this is an oasis that you always stop at. And we all consider it you know, sort of public neutral ground because – Uh, you know, this is a, a fertile, uh, watering hole in the midst, whatever you'll have Thelanian manifest zones where there are particular spirits that you ought to be making deals with. And so this is that sort of thing where if I was ever working on a book about the Talenta Plains, I'd certainly throw out a whole bunch of ideas for this, but those are certainly the kind of things that just should be there. Um, and, and certainly I do want to write about the planes at some point. And those, one of the things I want to do is actually just present a lot more ideas for manifest zones. So people understand, you know, the kind of things you could put out there. Yeah, indeed. You know, you just, you
0: just said a phrase that I think also, uh, gives some opportunity where you mentioned that, you know, this manifest zone, that's like an oasis or whatever it might be, um, is a sort of neutral ground, right? It could be like a neutral mm-hmm. ground for various tribes. Mm-hmm. And I think what that implies too is that we, you know, the the Talenta Plains is really a, it is a nation of nations, meaning like each yeah. of these tribes is a separate separate group, and with that, there's opportunity to sort of create maybe maybe some minor subcultures yeah,
1: among definitely. these
0: different tribes. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's a really powerful GM tool for GMs to say, you know, if you, if maybe the party is traveling with one particular or they're meeting with one particular tribe and they encounter another tribe maybe emphasizing or creating and emphasizing um,
1: some differences culturally. I I absolutely 100% agree with that. And I mean, there's a bunch of different things you can look to there. First is, again, that whole point that they're sort of uh, religion with the spirits is a very broad thing. And again, you can have a particular tribe that narrows that down in some way. We're more about making deals with the Fae. We're more about sort of approaching ancestor worship. One of the things we've noted is they have their own sort of version of Balinor that they're just like, oh, yeah, he was a halfling, you know, um, but you can sort of get some of the halfling cleric approach just saying, oh, I don't actually think this dude's a god. Uh, He's just a heroic ancestor who still sticks around and helps me out occasionally. Um, so you can certainly narrow down relationships to spirits. You can have particular, uh, sort of types of dinosaurs again, you know, that, Oh, we're the hammer tail tribe and we're all about using the ankylosaurus and such. Um, or again, we're a tribe that leans more towards the barbarian than the ranger. Um, so I, I absolutely think, in developing a character or as a game master, putting together an encounter, you should be thinking about well, what are the idiosyncrasies of your particular right. uh, tribe? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one of those one of
2: those things that that um, just on a reread, uh, I just remembered it now. Um, I remember there's one thing that that was written in for the Talenta Plains, uh, talking about the halflings, talking about the tribes. Um. And I'll, I'll I'll reiterate this because I never felt like you know when we talk about one area, um, when you talk about you know Breland or something like that, it mm-hmm. feels like there's one nation. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I wasn't always so focused, even though it's written there, was the the fact that this is a whole area full of nomads who go around. Different tribes, like you just mentioned, different tribes, but tribes that either maybe are friends or maybe they war against each other or, or they have mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is that the reason that halflings will go to war, like they don't put up permanent things, but the f- reason they'll go to war is you're encroaching, they've got enemies coming in, or they defend themselves or their sacred sites. I, I remember just, I, I just remember reading that. Right, right. Um, and I think we like I s like we were saying before, this whole area is filled with things that we have not explored. Um, you know, and I, I think it's I almost look at it and look and going, you know what you should tell me how this is subdivided out. Like that's, in my mind, that's what I'm like, oh, this area is for this tribe and this here. Like mm-hmm. even though there's tribes that have like very, very few people. But it's like, sure, sure, here are sure. the major tribes, here are their major wandering areas. And then that gives me something to work with. But because none of the tribes are actually named, yep. obviously not including the Dragon Mark houses, um, but because the tribes are not actually named, it almost feels like it, it's hard for me to hang I think back then, it was very hard for me to hang my hat on a halfling because it wasn't like, here's our naming convention, here's here's this major tribe you may want to consider something from. Or this is the more warlike tribe, or this is the one that only uses claw foots—that kind of thing. Like, and you just mentioned it now, but it was not in the original uh, ECS.
1: No, and I and I completely agree. I mean, like I said, you're absolutely right. It's just not there. And what I'm saying is, oh, I see all those things in my mind. You know, I would love to to write more about that. At the same time, you know, I hope that at least some people can sort of dive into that without uh, without it, because you know. As I said, I'd love to write something, but it will be a while before I would have time to do so. Uh, but it is exactly that idea. As we said, you should have feuds. You should have relationships, you know, your own particular, how does your tribe view the spirits? You might have a particular take with dinosaurs. And in particular, because you have that, that sort of wandering route, you may have sort of specific areas, you know, even if they don't just settle in a place, and say, okay, we're just stopping and camping here and this is our thing, they're still going to have, again, manifest zones, whatever they are, places that are important to them. You know, Again, as you sort of said, essentially they're holy sites. And just because they're not living there doesn't mean that these places aren't important to them and don't serve an important purpose to a particular tribe. So yeah, I mean, as I say, whenever I have time, I would love to to at least give some examples, you know, not trying, I wouldn't want to say, here is the precise list of the 13 tribes and there's no more, because I always want to leave room for people to, to come up with their own. But no, I no, love no. to at least give four or five. You, you and mean, say you mean 12 tribes because one of them went missing. Of course. No, no, if, that's what I'm saying. These are the 13 <laughs> tribes. We know one of them went missing. They were all, you know, <laughs> they became the ghost wise, but no one's ever seen them. Right. Um but Um, but that's what I'm saying is, is I agree with you. I would love to at the very least, just give a couple examples so that people who wanted could just use those people who didn't could say, okay, I get, I get what this looks like. And that is something that was just never, never really, uh, put forward.
0: Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, it's a bit of a challenge because when you look at the core roles, whether it was three, five, fourth, or fifth edition, the names that they have for halflings are really more like Tolkien esque, not mm-hmm. like things like Galanda and Girosco It's like Good Barrel, Underbow, well, Underhill, you know.
1: And and that's a big problem. You know, this is the issue of um, the books having multiple authors and. Not everyone getting that. And and that's a, a big example with like uh, gnome naming conventions this is something I did very concretely call out and say gnomes do have this tradition of three names, uh, tradition of multiple syllables. You know, sort of this is how this works out. Yet in most books that I didn't work on, if you find a gnome, they're not going to use that naming convention. Right. And right. so I completely agree, uh, you know, looking to Galanda and Jurasco as these are words in the talent you know the halfling language right uh you know that is a thing to be using for inspiration for names and yeah that that wasn't really seen or picked up right uh yeah. so yeah and i and i exactly see where you're saying that that throws a different image if they're being called Goodfellow or something like that right exactly Um, whereas if you've got your civilized halfling and his name is still, you know, Haraska or something like that, that still gives you a bit of a feel of, oh, he may be living in Brayland, but you know, he's still got some connections. So I think, I think that's actually a really excellent segue
0: to the next part about, you know, uh, talking about civilized halflings. And then of course, uh, with that dragon marked houses as well, um, you know, and, and on the surface, uh, it, seem, it might seem like civilized halflings, like, okay, well, you just have things that live in the city. But you made some really good points earlier about what ties do they have to their traditions, if any. You know, do they hearken back? Do they visit? Do they, uh, do they have family? Um, do they create communities within, say, Sharn or wherever that, you know, practice those traditions still, you know?
1: And, and part of the point to me on that comes back to how they got there in the first place. And just as you were saying to me, they're coming in with a, we're not used to this kind of life and we're trying to carve out a place for the houses. That's the houses. We have a thing other people want. We have sort of, that's our, our in, you know, that's our place for something like, uh, the Boromar, that sort of saying they made a thing. They said, well, we're just carving out our niche. Um, And, and it's still to me that idea that as a halfling, you've got a sort of deep part where you've, you know, you see the world as a thing you have to conquer with, you know, wit, nimbleness or charm, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and That again, that may be buried pretty deep if you're part of a civilized family that's been settled for generations, but that's still sort of the instinct level. Right. uh, Is, you know, even to me among a group like the Boromar, there's still a part that doesn't want to just completely dig in and be settled. Um, And there's always that, you know, again, it ties to, to brave and lucky almost that you know there's always a sort of bit of a spirit that is is trying to challenge things. Um but do you have
0: further thought? Yeah, I think um, you know I think there's even Opportunity to explore the idea of like, you know, a migrant halfling, one Mm -hmm. who doesn't settle just in Sharn or one Mm -hmm. place in Sharn, but, you know, actually travels around Corvair um, looking for
1: opportunities, sort of surviving in that sort of context. Well, Um, I think that's actually a really good point that we haven't really dug onto, but that idea that there are probably essentially halfling nomads in the five nations as well that are more moving from place to place than just not wanting to just stop moving. Wayne, do you have a thought?
2: Yeah. I, I just want to go, just have everyone understand something. So if you're kind of coming at, at Eberron a little bit newer um, mm-hmm. and just understand that the halflings that we have in, in, in Eberron, uh, the civilized ones. So the ones that you may encounter uh, on a regular basis, uh, let's say, cause you know, we've got a lot of urban adventure, um it's very unlike the hobbits it's very unlike the actual halflings of of um of D. it's not the we're the homebody we're not going to bother anybody this is this is a still a more aggressive race um this is it's a little obviously you know we know that everyone is there's a there's a twist on everything it's it's there, but it may not be what you expect. So when someone when you're looking at at, at halflings, I, I just to the listener, and you know, when you're looking at halflings, it's it's definitely something that uh, take that nomadic, take that not not restlessness. I, I don't want to say wanderlust because obviously that's that's a very common thing for halflings. I don't want to say wanderless, but there's a that that need to that need to hunt, that need to gather, that need to. Um, to travel, um, to not plant roots, and not mm-hmm. as a wanderlust to be like, I'm going away and I'm coming back. It's more of a, I'm going away, and I'm going to make my way going through there. It's just something that as I've always felt very that's very, very different from from a traditional D&D standpoint.
1: And, and I think make my way is a very interesting point to me because that's just the thing of in part with the nomadic roots, with all of that. I think that it is that idea that it is even in the dragon mark houses to a lesser degree, you know, there is still that point of your life is in your hands, you know, even in the Boromar clan, uh, it is still, you got to prove yourself. You got to find your way. Uh, you know, you don't settle. You don't just inherit. Uh, you've got to to you know to hunt to gather, even when you then translate that into the broader world. With that said, um, you also have that sense of tribalism, if you will, and that's sort of a way to look to the bormar clan and to um, the uh, the houses of this. The tribe stands together. The tribe helps each other. And so, this is part of the point. You mess with, you know, a family member, then, well, you know, there's going to be some consequences. I will also point out again the Bormar clan has received focus because it's in Sharn, and Sharn has received a lot of, you know, uh, writing attention. But to me, it's not like that is the only sort of significant halfling organization in the five nations. Uh, One can certainly assume that there are some similar, uh, not necessarily criminal, but maybe criminal, uh, organizations in Fairhaven or Korth, or that again, halflings, you know, sort of following that tribal instinct and creating a finding, carving out a niche for themselves. And so I've never really dug into Korth, but if I did, I would certainly think about, well, what are the halflings, you know, what's the equivalent here? If that makes any sense. You just blew my mind with that.
0: Like (laughs) I I could just imagine like in all the major cities or capitals, you know, having, uh, whether it's an extension of the Bormar clan, like, you know, some branch of it or a completely different family, uh, sort of, you know, eking out control. I I think that's, that's an amazing
1: idea. I mean, I think sort of the way to look at it in a very broad sense is it's a tribe, and, you know, each city is going to be the territory of a tribe. And the Boromar clan may be one of the largest and most powerful. And we have established, oh, they have some roots in Stormreach. You know, they have some things there. But to me, one could certainly say, yeah, but in Roat, we've got the Blankety Blank clan. Right. Uh, and that they're a different thing, you know, entirely. And like I said, they don't necessarily have to be criminals. They could be like, nah, we've we've settled in on the whatever guild, you know. Um And that ties to Jurasco and Galanda because Jurasco and Galanda are the most widespread. So in a lot of these cities, you know, you say like in in Sharn, there is a strong connection between Jurasco and the Boromar clan. And, you know, in a different city, the the local clan might have stronger connections to Galanda or something like that. Right. Um. But. But to me, it's back to the same way that those three spots we describe on the map of uh, the the are supposed to be an example, not a complete list. The Boromar clan is an example, not the only, uh, the only thing in the Five Nations. Right. Yeah. You know. Um,
0: mm-hmm. uh, well, so now I'm I'm thinking about like like the Boromar clan or any other family in any other city, or even thinking a little bit about the mark houses, uh, Galanda and Jurassic. I do want to get to them before we wrap up the show, right. but I'm imagining though, I'm, I'm trying to reconcile the idea of halflings being, um, a people that do thrive on, uh moving and surviving mm-hmm. and so on versus settling into a single city. How do you sort of see that playing out for, let's, we'll use the Bormar clan as the, as an example,
1: Right. So the Bormar clan, as an example, to me, it is, well, they did adapt. They did say we're settling in this place, although on the same time, Sharn is so big that uh, that is a little different from just buying a little farmhouse out on some field. And to me, I've sort of said, you know, one way to approach Sharn as a halfling is to be thinking of it as this is – Essentially, a jungle or a desert. You know, Uh, it's not. You know, I don't look at it as a city. I look at it as a as a country almost. And I'm making my wandering from the bottom of Sharn to the top of Sharn. That's a fair point. Um, Yeah, and but I do see it as also, even as Wayne was saying earlier, that to some degree, many members of the family may continue to travel around Brayland or to travel to different parts of the city. And it's essentially that. The Boromar clan, you know, the, the family leadership that has sunk its roots in, is essentially the same answer to Gatherhold. It's saying we are creating a safe, stable haven for the wanderers, and this uh, is where we've said that the Boromar do still have some ties to the Plains, and that they do have, uh, you know, they call them the Clawfeet, uh, you know, the enforcers who are essentially Plains barbarians. Uh, and to me, it's not you know part of the reason those guys are playing as barbarians is because they're not going to stick around for that long. They sort of pass through, serve a serve a while with the clan, and then go back home. Um, and so, if you look at it as it's sort of they've decided to play this role, if that makes any sense. But that again, yeah. the entire family. Doesn't necessarily just stay in one place, as as Wayne said, and I was, I was following up. You know, there is going to be that impulse of you got to find your way, and maybe your way is going to keep you here. You know, but maybe it's not. That makes sense. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Now I will say that part of the idea of the Boromar clan is that it's back to nimbleness, hunter wits, that you know, on the part they have the hunter aspect that they are, you know, you mess with us and we're gonna cut you, uh, but we're gonna, you know, be clever about it. And in part, it's the the wits and charm part of a lot of the businesses we've said they do are smuggling, gambling, right, nonviolence. Uh, yeah. Nonviolent and more about, you know, that the violence for them is more very long standing extortion, where they're basically like, you know, We'll cut you up if if you know you don't uh, don't pay us. So let's just pay us, and we've been doing that for two hundred years. So why do we need to change that now? Right. And that part of the idea of Sharon is they just sort of established themselves into the foundation, and that was great, and everyone was happy, and uh, and then essentially Dask suddenly comes along as a no, we are very violent and we like it. Uh, and just much more chaotic and sort of has thrown off this whole, we had a nice pattern, you know, because that also comes back to the tribal thing of, they do have their patterns. They do have their established things and, uh, and traditions and that Dask is present as this much more chaotic, uh, sort of, you know, destabilizing force. Yeah. Um, so, anyhow, that's just a random thing to consider. But if you want to switch the houses before we run out of yeah, time, yeah, yeah, I-, I was gonna say let's
0: uh, let's move on to the more uh, f- the friendlier side of uh, civilized uh, halflings, I guess. Um, so y- y- you know, Galanda and Jarosco, they are uh, obviously they have um, placement just all across Corvair, even in Stormreach. Um, one of the things I find interesting. Actually, there's a couple of things I find interesting about them. One is that they they sort of balance and sort of dwell among both cultures, which I think is really really neat. I mean, I guess most halflings do to mm-hmm, some extent, mm-hmm. but particularly they they you know they they um, their business even encompasses mm-hmm. both cultures. Um, but also among the dragon marked houses, theirs are the least questionable in my mind.
1: And, or, or the more noble, I guess, of, of the services. Eh, yes and no. So, I'll, I'll touch on that in a moment. I apologize about weird background noise. I have a crazy cat who hasn't <laughs> seen me for two weeks. And, oh, it's fine. Uh, he's causing a little trouble. Um, you know, first off, Galanda, I, I'd i say that's exactly the case. You know, that's Galanda, their whole business is a hospitality. And this is one thing I called out about the fact that the mark of making Grant's friends in 5th edition Mm -hmm. And some people have said, well, that doesn't make sense because, you know, after you use friends, people are going to get pissed off at you. Uh, And I'm like, well, not necessarily. What it is, is after you use friends, people know you used friends on them. And uh, so if you used it in a aggressive way, they will get pissed off at you because, you know, again, they know you used it. But that the whole point of. Uh, How Galanda tends to use that is it's the bartender who's easy to talk to. It's that what friends does is essentially give you a boost to your charisma. It makes you better at things like uh, persuasion. It does make you better at deception. But the whole idea of it is that you meet the innkeeper and he welcomes you and it is just the warmest, friendliest welcome. And you just feel like you belong here and you go to the bartender and you just want to talk to him and that you will be like, oh, I get that this isn't quite natural, but he's not using it in a mean way. No, he's just making you feel at home. Yeah, if you're going to a House Kalanda establishment, you're going to have a good time. You no, know, exactly. And you right. know that's what they do. And the point is, it's not a secret. You know he just turned his charm on on you, but it feels good, you know. And so, so that sort of, as I said, the reason I added it to them in fifth edition was that idea that they should have that charm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that people aren't pissed about it because they use it to make everybody feel good. Um, and it does mean that, oh, if you are a Galanda con artist, okay, you've got that thing there, you know, you can use it in that other way, but that's not how the house uses it. I mean, imagine, imagine you had a bad day
0: at work, right down in the cogs and you go to, you know, you want to lift your spirits. You go to house Galanda's one of their establishments and all of a sudden you're having a great time and your evening's great. You're getting along with people. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what people and, want, And right? to
1: me, I literally think that the idea of turning on the charm is a concept people would have with them. Oh, you know, it's, it's Bob and he turned on the charm and you know how it is. Right. If you see what I'm saying. And, and that's, that's again, people just know that about them.
0: That's how they're going to get um, their good tips. Hmm.
1: Right. Exactly. And so, what I'm saying is to me, that also lends away of part of what we said about Galanda is yes, they're innkeepers. Yes, they're things. But they're also sort of concierges, Right. They make it their business to know what's going on around town and to help you get the things you want. If you need tickets to that show or you need to know where a thing is, talk to the innkeeper. He probably knows a thing or two. And part of the point to me is that idea that when he's negotiating a deal or he's talking to a guy, he will turn on that charm and the guy he's dealing with knows he's doing it. But, you know, they're old friends. I mean, you know, they've had a long relationship. And so, again, to a certain degree, as long as they aren't outright using it to screw people over, again, people are a little more. Yeah, we get it. I know you're trying to to you know shine me there, but sure, I'll cut you a deal because you know because I like you. You, um, know,
0: you just said concierge, and now I'm envisioning more than just inns and taverns in Sharn. I'm envisioning like actual <laughs> hotels with lifts oh, yeah. and
1: bellhops and the whole Absolutely. nine yards. Uh, I'll call out. I think we call it the Twilight Palace in Greywall is an example of essentially a, a Galanda Grand Hotel, uh, and yeah, they certainly have uh, have things like that. Um, we talk about you know some of their established businesses. You know, the Gold Dragon Inn is the sort of classic. This is just the simple franchise inn, uh, and this is part of the point is. Looking to inns in, and I have a whole article, I think about taverns and inns on my website is that you have the franchise gold dragon Inn, which if you will, is the, the motel six of, of Eberron, uh, that any big city is going to have a gold dragon Inn, and it's going to be pretty much the same as the other one. Uh, you have their sort of grander things like the twilight palace, uh, below that you have a lot of, this is the, you know, the cat and whistle, Um, that are Galanda run, but they're not run by the house. They're just run by an, you know, an an innkeeper who's part of the house. And below that you have all your just sort of random. This is Sparky is run by, you know, an old dwarf. Um, and there, what you generally have is the Galanda seal being licensed by Galanda is literally just a, a, you know, like the FDA. It's just saying these guys are meeting certain health standards um but it is not to say absolutely every inn or tavern in eberron has to have a halfling running it right um true. anyhow we we're sort of drifting kind of deep here so I want to bring back to the major point of saying that is the point is for galanda as you said the fact that they are non-threatening uh that their business is hospitality you know it makes them uh, a force that is present and has a certain amount of influence, but they are one of the less, you know, they don't have particular enemies among the 12 because they're not really, you know, trying to, to gain power the way you have, you know, Kenneth or, or Thrashka doing or things like that. They're just basically want to be there to, you know, help people make connections and to be people's friends. So they are very sort of both inobtrusive, but the whole point is they do that by having connections. Uh Jurasco, on the other hand, uh the business they provide is very vital and is very uh sort of friendly and necessary. But we have always sort of made that point of, but you gotta pay for it. You know, they Mm -hmm. aren't they aren't a charity, they aren't here to to just help everybody. Uh, they have a service you need, and they'll give it to you for a price. So I just sort of want to call that out that Jurasco has a bit of a harder edge where they're like, and part of their point, you know, what they say to that is because we got to make sure the house survives, because otherwise we can't keep helping people. Well, you yeah, know, yeah, I mean, I, I get that, but I mean, like, like a medical
0: doctor, mm-hmm. I go to them. I, yeah, they're, I'm going to pay them for their service because and and what they're doing is, is very noble and, and, and good and yeah, yeah they it's valuable right so I don't know that that makes it any any less noble or, or generous or anything to that effect and I guess what I mean is like most of the other houses there's some sort of threat component to it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. I mean uh, well Therani is you know and Fjarlan not on the surface but still um but for Jurassic, it's not like you know what they do is harmful like you know you think of um, I don't know. Well, not not that the mark of make or she's or,
1: oh, no, no, my, I, my I, brain is seizing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean. I, like it's, I, I, it's, I completely, I completely agree. I mean, that's the point. I'm not saying they're evil, right. By any means, I'm just saying that that one wants to get to, but they are not completely uh will drop anything to help everybody because they can't help everybody and so they are like we are realistic about what we can do. Wayne, did you have a thought?
2: Well going back to the you know 1890s, you couldn't if you couldn't afford a doctor, you didn't get a doctor. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you think about let's let's think historically for a Mm -hmm, mm second. You couldn't afford a doctor, you didn't get a doctor. You got the old sawbones that would help and um, but you didn't get the trained doctor with the latest medicine and the you know magical touch. You got the snake oil guy who mm-hmm. came to your door and said, "This will solve all your ails." And mm-hmm. um, I remember uh, who's—I think I saw it on like I, I think someone's Facebook page was like, "This is what's in you know here's some alcohol and cocaine and and a bunch of things in here. This will solve your your and you're like." Wow, whoa! Well, what's going on there, right? But with Jerasco, mm-hmm. you're like, you know what? Here's your doctor. Here's the guy that's licensed. He's he spent 13 years in med school, um, but uh, there's a reason why he makes you know right. half a million dollars a year.
1: Well, and that's a very interesting point that it is the case. Like one of the things I'm always calling out today is that the only reason we know, like when I buy a bottle of aspirin, the only reason I think it actually has aspirin in it. Is because we live in a world where things like drugs are regulated and go back a hundred years and who knows what's in that bottle. Right. And that is exactly the point, just the same way that you go to a licensed Galanda inn uh, because you know that the beer is gonna meet, you know, not be completely watered down. It is the same way if you go to Jurasco, because yeah, there undoubtedly are, I think in one of the street of Sharn. Uh, encounters. There's some guy basically being like, Oh, get this miracle elixir. That's the secret Jurasco doesn't want you to know about. Um, and, and so you're absolutely right is that they are like, you know, we are providing a vital service, but again, you know, just to make sure even our house survives, there's a value to that. And that does come back to, they do provide both magical healing, but again, any Jurasco house also just has essentially People with the mark of healing trained in the healing, you know, the medicine skill. And this is one of the points of that the mark of healing does make you better at the medicine skill uh, than a normal person is, you know, and that's the thing. They're just good uh, with the healing arts, even when they aren't actually employing something like lesser restoration. So you might not be able to afford that. But you can still go there to get your teeth pulled or to get, you know, whatever your yeah. your, your minor ailment is. Well I remember the now the hmm? oh, sorry, I was gonna s was
0: gonna say I remember the Dragon Shards article uh where they talked about like experts in mage rights, even in House Drasco mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. we're well, not mage rights, but mostly experts making like the medicines and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Just with you know, like at, at the highest level as an alchemical thing, but typically just as just medicinal practices.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's the point is Jurasco unquestionably has your pharmacists mm-hmm. and that, yes, that includes healing potions, but it also includes all the minor mundane, you know, includes aspirin. That's just, you know, sort of a kind of simple uh, herbal sort of remedy, you know, uh, and those things will exist in Eberon. you know, as they do anywhere else, you'll have your moon tea or whatever you want it uh, to be. Uh, so that that is absolutely true. I will point out uh, – so ultimately, coming back to all of this, I agree with the point you were making early on, Christian, is that Jurasco is overall a positive force that most people are glad to have around. You know that it's not sort of sinister in the way that – or aggressive in the way that some of the other houses are. Uh, I will say that you do have um, – you know, a few sort of, uh, twisty things like the, uh, no semantic, uh, surgeons from, um, to the Dragonmarked book. And, you know, the sort of idea that actually Jurasco during the war, there were branches of Jurasco that were developing essentially bioweapons, uh, and that they have worked in particular with house Fidalis uh, you know, on sort of coming up with some crazy things um and so that's sort of a, a point that okay if anyone's doing that it is likely a branch of jurasco but that doesn't mean that that's the you know sort of supported by or the direction of the entire house it's just that you've got your your crazy divisions being like well this is something mm-hmm. we should be doing
0: so something that might be a little bit of a challenge for players when you're thinking about the dragonmarked houses mm-hmm. is you know, like when you think of Danaith or, mm-hmm. um, you know, any, most of the other Dragon Marked houses, there's something really cool about playing a character from those Dragon Marked houses. But you I mean, healers are useful, of course. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, if you're from House Galanda, like, what, how do you use that? How do you use that in, so, in your story and in your character development?
2: Right. I, of course, oh, yeah, love, that's a, good, that's a good
1: question. Yeah. I, of course, love Galanda. Uh, you know, they're one of my favorites. And uh, I did, of course, call out a couple examples of this. If you go to the Wayfinder's Guide, every uh, house has a couple of examples, uh, mostly three. In, in the case of hospitality, I had to cut it down to two. Uh, but part of the point there is to start off with your background. What's your background and how does that translate to the house? If you're a uh, then that means you're tied to one of the powerful, you know, families within it. So you know, uh, I have sort of one of the the NPCs I used in one of my charity games was uh, Fairhaven Galanda, who is essentially Paris Hilton, and just saying you're heir to a big, you know, powerful family, and uh, you know, basically you're just a socialite, you know. And I have the example in uh in the the wayfinder's guide one of the examples is noble warlock and saying that you're an archfey and essentially the whole idea is yeah you're this socialite who's just kind of accidentally made a deal or you know the two ways you can look at it is you either made a deal or your house actually you know your daddy actually bought you uh you know magical powers by making a deal on your behalf right um so one of that is just the idea that yeah i was i i didn't sort of I've sort of stumbled into this thing, but I'm just, you know, again, as I said, a socialite, um, you could go for one that didn't make it. Um, you know, I have in here the, the bard, you know, the guild artisan bard where I've said, Oh, you used to be an innkeeper, uh, but your inn got destroyed. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, you're looking for money to start up a new place. And that actually comes straight from a campaign I ran where the whole idea is, uh, the rogue actually, uh, she was was this Galanda former innkeeper and that all the other characters in the party were former essentially patrons of the bar and the Warforged fighter was the bouncer and the cleric was the sort of used to be worthless drunk who just hung out there and that they were all trying to get their act together. Um, But beyond that, you can also look to like a criminal uh, and say, yeah, Galanda... I I am good at charming people and I've decided to use that to, you know, uh, to be a charlatan uh, or to be a criminal. So charlatan to me is a very good match to the mark of hospitality. And I'm just making deals and I may have been excoriated from the house for using my mark in a bad way. Uh, But I just, I'm a person who likes to talk to people who like to talk. And so part of it is to look to hospitality and say what it does for you is you are good with people you're charming you've got charisma and prestidigitation is just a fun sort of you can just do little fun things with it um so to me from the story standpoint it's that you are a charismatic person people like and that could be again the Fairhaven galanda uh so you're just a party person it could be the i just want to run an in of my own or it could be the, I'm kind of a con artist and a grifter who's using that you know my own way. Those are just three sort of examples off the top of my head. I will also note one of my favorite things is uh, in the greater dragon marks. And this is something I actually just pulled from third edition if you run back and check it. So people are like, whoa, that's a high level spell. And I'm like, yeah, but they've always had it uh, is the greater dragon mark of hospitality grants you a uh, magnificent mansion once per day, which means... You just have a magic mansion whenever you want it. And I love that concept as, yeah, I'm just a wandering, you know, sort of uh, poor grifter halfling. But you know where I sleep at night in my mansion. Um, and it's just sort of a fun way of coming back to that sort of uh, nomadic element. But it doesn't matter where you go because wherever you go, you got a mansion. Um, and so, so as I say, I haven't actually, uh, recently made that character, but I want to make, uh, the grifter with his mansion. Nice. And I'll also point out if you just look to, um, the dreaming dark trilogy of novels that Jode, of course, is a halfling with the mark of healing. And when you look to healing there to me is very much that question of, um, what your your tie to the house is? And there's a couple different things. Easy hook for Jurasco is the you don't want to just be part of the economic machine of the house. You do want to do more. You want to help people uh, without it all being about the money. If you see what I'm saying, so you know you are more driven by charity, and that's where I think I suggested folk hero is a potential thing for the the a good background for the halfling who's like, I'm not letting myself be sort of locked into this corporation, if you will. Um, another character I suggested in the Wayfinder's Guide is the noble cleric, uh, where I suggested that you are part of the house and uh you have a remarkable mark. And this is the point where a halfling with the mark of healing as a cleric, you know, you're a life cleric. You could say that I don't actually worship a god. My powers as a life cleric are drawn from my mark, that I just have a really remarkable connection to the mark of healing. And part of the point there would be saying, oh, you are from one of the most important Families in the house, you have this incredible gift and everyone expects you to use it for the house. And the question is, are you gonna, or are you like, no, I'm destined for something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, the, the third one I suggested there is the criminal rogue and saying, yeah, you know, you skipped out on the house or you were an orphan who was never part of it in the first place. You were a found lane. And, you know, you've been being like, I'm the sawbones for the Boromar clan. Or something like that, you know, I'm using my healing abilities sort of down, uh, down in the dirt. And for a rogue in particular, you could sort of flavor sneak attack as it's about, I'm just really good at anatomy. You know, I'm not literally like a thief. I just know how to hit people where it hurts, uh, and sort of play up that aspect of it. Uh, so as I said, those are just a couple ideas for, you know, again, characters tied to the house, but not simply I'm a healer. That's fantastic stuff. It's great stuff.
0: Well, I um, think... Uh, yeah, we Any way closing over time? Th- yeah, we're way over time. <laughs> Keith, I know you're exhausted. You just got back from Gen Con, which I hope is amazing for you. Um, uh-huh. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Or are we good?
1: Um, You know, to me, I would say check out the, uh, the dragon Mark on half lanes, if probably, if you just type in dragon Mark halfling, or we've got link in the show notes, um, just because that does go into a bunch of other things. And like, just one of the things, again, we didn't have time to talk about is that point of you have lucky. How do you see that? How does that manifest? Like when you roll the one and it gets changed, do you see that as like the spirits literally just helped me? Or, you know, do you feel there's a reason for your luck? Mm -hmm. Or is it just, eh, you know, you're just lucky, you know, but that's fine. But that's just something you can consider as a character. Uh, But like I said, that goes into a lot more sort of things to think about if you're playing a halfling character. Um, And I do think, you know, Wayne, you're absolutely right. They never were explored as deeply as they, you know, there's a lot of depth to the idea of both types of halfling uh, that I hope we can explore more in the future. Because I think there's really a lot of things to play with there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh, guys, if, if you haven't already, um, you should pick up the uh, <laughs> you should pick up the. Uh, <laughs> the we should guide pick up the guide.
1: <laughs> a good yeah. point.
2: Um, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk more about that in episode thirteen,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right. That's I right. Hope, <laughs> I don't know when we're gonna come out with that though. I mean, I, I feel yeah. like. It's been lost somewhere in time.
2: Absolutely. I think we're actually
1: breaking NDA by recording. This we probably shouldn't be talking about, about it right it.
2: now. Yeah, yeah, yeah we probably shouldn't true. be talking about it. Well, but we that. can yeah. wait oh, to man. put
1: this out. We can wait to put this out until after the Wayfinders Guide. Now that you've now that you've blown yeah, there you blown it like go. that, there we'll just,
2: just wait. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, that's that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna strike <laughs> <laughs> Yes, of course. Excellent. But yes, everybody, um if you're listening to this uh, and you've kind of you've picked it up or you you've you've noticed that Ebron is now on DM's Guild, uh, go and pick up the Wayfinders Guide to to Ebron. Uh, it's got all our names in it. It's really awesome. Um <laughs> Keith for some reason Keith's got his name up in
1: you know up, up in the lights I don't in, get in, it. in the credits. I, but, I, you know. I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. I I you know I've got yeah, connections go. with Galanda and the clan. <laughs> there
0: you go. <laughs> all right. All right. Well uh I guess that wraps it up then. Um yeah, so uh for all of you who are listening, thank you for listening. And be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show. You can post comments to an episode, uh, find links to Google Plus, Twitter, and Facebook pages. And whatever option you prefer, let us know what you think of the show. Uh even iTunes reviews are kind of nice and make us feel warm and fuzzy. Um, uh-huh. next time, uh join us when we talk about Wayfinder's Guide to Ebron. I'm kidding. <laughs> where we talk about <laughs> Actually, uh, what we're planning to talk about is magic items in Eberron and sort of mm-hmm. the, the prevalence of magic, uh, magical items in Eberron in the world. Um, but, Keith, I will see you at Dragon Con. Yes. And we might do a, a special recording like we did last year there uh, if opportunity presents itself. So Absolutely.
1: Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to going to Dragon Con. I believe there will be at least one uh, Eberron talk. Uh, and of course, I just love talking to people about Eberron. So I will say, if you're at DragonCon and you see me around, and I got the hat on for just that purpose, uh, please feel free to come up and say hi, uh, and and you know, again, if I have a moment, ask me an Eberron question. I'll I'll be happy to talk about stuff. Yeah, and you know, also ask about other things like Element or Phoenix Dawn oh, yeah. Command. Yeah, and Action Cats, Phoenix Dawn Command. Right, I do a thing or two.
0: That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess that's it. And uh, until next time, keep exploring.